Susan Felth, the Citizen Kane of podcasting. Modern man is confronted with so many movies. Which ones are films? And which ones are filth? Number 87. It's the film that makes everyone think they're cool. Reservoir Dogs. It was like a question. Like you just have to say the title after that intro. Like mm. you can't I can't say my name or something first. You could say you your name for cool. a change. You, you want to be cool? I'm cool. I'm Luke Summerhays. Matt Comage is here, beaming in from space. It's it's Mark. Cat sitting. Is, is it the and... cat sitting? Yeah. Cat sitting. Okay, that's why Mark sounds funny today. Sorry, sorry, John. Yeah. We cut you off there. Uh, no, it's back. okay. I, 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 I get to be the special guest again, and uh, uh, back for a good movie this time. That's, that's right. exciting. Yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, I, I do appreciate when the guests talk before you know they're in, introduced, especially when that's, it goes I, on for like you know, look, twenty I, minutes. This, no, th- th- this is old hat. I mean, we, we've, you know, we've been through hell and heaven together as far as this <laughs> this series goes and i like our little biblical group here yeah, so, yeah, yeah. yeah i'm not being yeah. ironic i love it when it's 30 minutes into a podcast and you're like hey wait a bit we never introduced this guy who's been talking to you for a long time <laughs> well matt <laughs> done with introductions your, some might say that's your job matt or my yeah. job or luke's job but anyway on the spot uh, so you know what else is really cool there's no reservoir or dogs in this movie <laughs> yeah yeah, never yeah. really thought to. There might be a dog in the background. Is there a dog in the background? No dogs? Did mm. you check? I mean, uh, what is man but a dog? Mm. <laughs> man bites dog. That was a movie. Man is dog. Man bites dog. Man bites man. Man shoots man. Right. Woman inherits the earth. <laughs> yeah. Um, I guess we'll do the regular where this film come on your radar thing. Uh, For me... Maybe I watched it with Mark. I don't know. I'm pretty sure I did not see this one in the theater. Did you see this one in the theater? I saw it in the theater. I know. I, I want to say that it was sort of a thing where it was not the first run of it, but it was within the year it came out. I think it was something like Quentin Tarantino just blew up really a whole lot. And then they sort of did another round of art house screenings because when when I did see it, it was at the Tower Place Theater, which was sort of an art house adjacent thing and it was just one of those it was the same place i saw clerks which at the time showed it like one or two theaters so it was around that time i know i saw clerks in a theater i'm trying to think of if i saw this before or after pop fiction um our, our uh, group this of friends, might have been after i don't know yeah. i don't remember <laughs> yeah our group of friends and i guess we'll talk about when we get to pop fiction at some point because that's on the list but um I, there was like this weird thing where for a while it was like oh, Saturday night, I guess we're going to see Pulp Fiction. So I think I saw it seven times in a theater. Um, Andrew, who's sometimes on this, <laughs> saw it like 14 times in the theater. Um. <laughs> I was um, I was taken to that. I, I think I waited like half a week to see it. And our friend Mike, who loved yelling quotes of that movie at me, insisted that I go with him to see it. And he yelled quotes at me on the way in and on the way out. But, you know. But not during good. the movie. I, I, we'll get into it later. But I think that the quotability of that movie makes it not as good as the less quotable movies. Right. Okay. Um, Luke, this is your first time, maybe. I don't know. Maybe you said uh, no. I watched it when I was a teenager because everyone told me I should watch it because it's good. Yeah, it's kind of a teen. I guess yeah. After 1993, if you're a teenager, you're watching this at least once. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, yeah, John, this predates your time in L.A., so. (laughs) It does. Yeah, yeah. I was living in New York at the time when this came out. And honestly, I I chose, you know, when you sent me the options of movies to cover on on your podcast, uh, I chose this because it's one of those that I had not seen. And uh, not because I was actively avoiding it or anything. It just sort of, it came out. I missed it in theaters. I probably own two editions of this on DVD and Blu-ray because it it came out twice while I was doing the old DVD geeks 
uh, TV show and podcast. So I own it, but I just never got around to watching it. And it was one of those, it's like, you know, yeah, everybody has that movie that's like a really well-known movie that they haven't seen. And for some people, they say, oh, I've never seen Jaws. And you go, oh, you got to, how can you have not seen Jaws? Or The Godfather. How can you have not seen The Godfather? And, and like, and this was mine. So um, I, I specifically wanted to watch this for your show and have that be my first time. I've got loads nice. of those films. That's why I'm doing this podcast. Right? See? <laughs> but also, exactly. I'm really glad to hear you say that because part of me thought you wanted to be on this podcast because you're like a mega fan of this film. Nah. Well, see, I, I'm a fan. I'm not a, a a super fan of Quentin Tarantino. Like, there are people who absolutely mm. are just obsessed. But that said, I have liked everything of Tarantino's that I have seen. Um, and, you know, I, I make it a point to go see his movies early in their run. I, I think they're terrific. I think they've gotten better and better over the years. But somehow this one got past me. So, um, yeah, that, that, that's that, there you go. <laughs> it's all new to me. Well, it's such an interesting Wait. spot of taste, too, because um, on our list, we have this, of course, we're doing it. Uh, Pulp Fiction's there and Glorious Bastards there. Um, Django and Chains on the list. None of those are in my top three Tarantinos. Ah, <laughs> my, mine's uh, going to be Jackie Brown, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, then Kill Bill Part One. None of those are on the list. So that that's Luke's Jurassic Park problem where you have Spielberg. <laughs> No dinosaurs. I, I have. Well, I I should just to follow up a little bit is that I was kind of um, around the time this came out. I was obsessed with the movie True Romance, which Tarantino wrote the script for. So I guess I, I knew who he was before Reservoir Dogs came out. Because it, I also really like Natural Born Killers, which I am afraid to revisit because I think it's going to not have aged well. But um, but. Yeah, I I actually my three favorite Tarantino movies probably are on oh okay, um, Inglorious Bastards and Django Unchained. You said were on the list, correct? Okay, yeah, that those Kill Bill Volume One. So my favorites are a little different than yours, but okay, you have you a sixty six percent hit rate, a satanic hit rate, if if you want. Nice, <laughs> <laughs> that's how I planned it. <laughs> but but I mean, Kill Bill isn't without its own weird problems when you take it as a whole. Yeah, I haven't watched that in 10 years. It might play a little differently today. I don't know. <laughs> well, actually, I can guess. I, <laughs> I, I don't know. It, it's um, It does that age-old thing that I always complain about where I think Volume 2 is supposed to make you feel bad for liking Volume 1, mm. but Volume 1 mm. was better. So mm. Also, know. I feel like I haven't watched Tobil 1 since living in Japan, so it might look weird now. No, yeah. that's no, that's not true. I I saw it because I, 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 I was I was trying thinking 2010, but I've been in Japan since 2004 off and on. So yeah, I, I, mean, I would have. Does anything Tarantino makes really feel like real life? I mean, there's so much weird stuff in this movie alone. This is sort of a restrained film. But yeah, there's the, weird stuff like the radio DJ being like on Quaaludes or something, and the 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 crazy looking sort of out of time diners, I guess. Yeah, the most chop I had since uh, living in Japan and watching something that's supposed to be about it is maybe um, uh, I, I just had oh the Simpsons really go to Japan when you watch that now it's like oh these people don't like the signs like aren't in proper Japanese and they it's like they didn't do any actual research. Which, <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, well, Mr. Sparkle did it better because that did have the proper um, katakana and stuff. So, <laughs> well, it was only downhill from there. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. That was probably the end of the run of that show. So, um, Luke, how how deep are you in Tarantino? Uh, have you seen many of these? I've seen lots of them. I don't get it. Okay, <laughs> they're you don't fine. Get this one. They're fine. Okay. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't. The, 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 the thing this film did that everyone praises it for is like, oh, you don't actually see the 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 crime. It's it's very subtle, and then it's like all of his other films are bloated and long. So clearly, that wasn't like a directorial stamp <laughs> yeah i think it was that he didn't have enough money but um exactly but Luke, I, yeah I, i'm not asking you this as a gotcha question but uh do you feel more fondly about guy Ritchie than you do about tarantino no okay oh wait yeah because i like i don't really care about the guy Ritchie gangster films but i kind of like the dumb stuff he does like robin hood and sherlock holmes <laughs> okay i mean sherlock holmes was all right yeah it was all right 
I will say I just bought um Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels and Snatch on on Blu-ray because I found them at the book off for real cheap. And it, it was a late night viewing, but yeah, I pretty much tapped out of Lock, Stock. Like, I think I was awake for 30 minutes and I was just like, I don't know what's going on. Whereas when I watched it when I was 20 or something, I got it. But yeah, I don't know. Maybe it was too late at night. Subtitles. <laughs> yeah, use subtitles. I guess you always use subtitles, don't you? Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Okay. Never mind. Uh, let's plug in the plot here because we already did it. Mr. Blonde, Mr. White, Mr. Brown, Mr. Pink, and Mr. Blue are roped into a diamond heist by Joe, but it all goes terribly wrong because the police were waiting for them. We never see the diamond heist, but we see the before and after as we realize that one of them was indeed an undercover cop. And one of them was indeed a psychopath, and almost everyone dies. Well, that's the end of every story, right? <laughs> <laughs> that was great. Yes. <laughs> couldn't have done it better myself. That's right, right. Well, you, you couldn't. Could. You weren't here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, the, the intricacies of recording. I don't know. Um, when this film came out, were any of these guys like well known yet? Because now this is like kind of a star filled oh. cast with with no women. But um, <laughs> um, Harvey Keitel, yes, yeah, he'd um, already done Bad Lieutenant, right? So and everyone had seen his peen on screen. Yeah, well, he okay. was on he was in Taxi Driver, which was like twenty years earlier. Oh yeah, but, okay, uh, yeah, plays a guy named I mean, Matthew. Okay. I should remember that bit part, but still, um, uh, I think Tim Roth was at least sort of. what I, I knew who Tim Roth was. Uh, Chris Penn. Mm, a little bit. Okay, you'd already caught um, Tim Roth and the cook, the thief, his wife, and his her lover. If you saw that, which I feel like that's something you would have seen. No, no, okay. I probably should watch that. But Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. Yeah, yes, he had, he I saw that. okay. There, that's where your fix was. <laughs> there, he, oh, I think he was is... in True Romance too. Maybe I believe your True Romance is after this, so if I'm correct, and. uh they were very close. Actually, I don't think he's in it. Huh. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. That's a, It feels like he would be, but I don't think he is. Okay. <laughs> I mean, so. if True Romance came out after this, that would explain why I saw this in its second go-round, because I probably found out who Tarantino was from watching True Romance and then et cetera. Right, right. Michael Madsen, where was he? That's the thing. I don't know where any of these guys were in, in their career when they did this. Okay, his first list. Oh, he's in The Natural. He was in The Doors, Selma and Louise. So, yeah, we, we, mm. we'd we gotten mad with Madsen already a bit. He follows this up with Free Willy. That's a, that's some weird chop. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, the, I remember the next film I saw him in was Species, and uh, my girlfriend at the time like made me go see Species because she heard Michael Madsen's ass was in it. <laughs> yes, yes so that's that's the that's the fun story of the the reversed gender role of i i was not the guy who was going to see the naked lady in species i was being brought there for naked man sure. oh, okay and, my uh, only memory of species is seeing it the videotape on my uncle's shelf and him laughing at me because i pronounced it spec eyes <laughs> <laughs> i mean i i actually remember um when i had done when I came back from seeing Species, I talked to Matt on the phone, and he was like, did you see Feces? <laughs> I was like, yeah, I did. <laughs> Is that mo- I don't think I ever actually watched Feces. Good joke. And also, no, I've been but... told I need to watch Species 2, not Species 1. I think your joke was better than the movie. Okay. <laughs> Still haven't seen that one, so uh, and I'm not encouraged to do so now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> If the old sci-fi sanctuary was still around, maybe we would have dragged you in for it. But no, nope. probably would have stayed away. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, well, okay, yeah. but you could see Michael Madsen's ass. Oh well, Ooh. hey, that's that's pretty intriguing. Yeah, it was it. Uh, it wasn't Christina Locken. She's not the female alien in that no. issue. No, uh, Natasha Henstridge. That's her name. There we go. There we go. Okay, I mean, I, I can pretty much be lured with nudity uh, to a film. So, you know, maybe that alone would have gotten me there. But, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, that's uh, why I went to single white female. I yeah. Don't regret it, really. <laughs> right. Uh, and you got to mention uh, Lawrence Tierney here. Um, mm-hmm. And that'll be our uh, Star Trek connection to um, 
TNG. Uh, he, you know, one of the holodeck gangsters, and uh, he's pretty great. Pretty, yeah, this uh, is kind yeah. of the end of his career. I'm, I yeah. have his wiki up now mm -hmm. where he's described as not so much an actor as a frightening force of nature because he was <laughs> known as being completely insane on sets all the way back into the 40s. Wow. <laughs> wow. I'll okay. See I, right. I, I, I'll see if I can find a nice uh, incident here uh, while, while you're having your thoughts. <laughs> wow. Man. I, he's good. I mean, the, the man certainly has got presence, you know, so I can see how you get cast. Oh, off-screen troubles. I actually want to see his on-screen troubles. Sure. Threw away yeah. about well, seven careers through drink. That's his quote. Okay? Wow. <laughs> wow. Oh, my God. Between 1944 and 1951, Tierney was arrested over 12 times in Los Angeles for brawling, frequently for drunkenness, which included ripping a public telephone off a wall at a bar, <laughs> hitting a waiter in the face with a sugar bowl, refusing to serve him any more drinks, and attempting to choke a taxi driver. I, you nice. know, I I love all of that from a distance. <laughs> you know, yeah. that, that's that's awesome. That's who you want yeah. playing, you know, your chief gangster. Yeah, 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 exactly. Well, I know um Spencer Tracy would do this. Like he was a, apparently very professional on set and an absolute yeah. disaster when he wasn't working. Oh so my god! They had like a special, uh, like a Spencer patrol to go. You know, like <laughs> like all the bars had their number. So if, if he shows up call because someone needs to come and uh, wow. at least keep an eye on him <laughs> that's uh, that's when he could get away with it though you and know? if he really wanted to have a bender apparently he'd go off to um new york city and just drink in a bathtub for a week wow wow <laughs> he was out of reach of the spencer patrol at that point so uh Amazing. yeah yeah it's, uh, this is why all these I, people and you know i do the twilight zone everyone looks old because they're drinking and smoking everything <laughs> yeah 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 I mean, I've known a few people in the film industry who are not actors who basically are like that. And I, I don't know if it's something like you, if you're capable of, I, I always, I always uh, put it as something like you, it, you have to have a lot of just energy and vigor to have a drug or alcohol habit. Yeah, so sometimes right. the person who can work a 14 hour day, eight days a week can also just go and drink like a bathtub full of wine and pass out in the bathtub. <laughs> same day yep so that actually was tyranny it seems so uh yeah classic yeah. hollywood <laughs> insanity is you know again fun from a distance you don't want him in your kitchen that's that's it i always say you well, know of course i love keith moon i don't want keith moon in my kitchen exactly exactly if either of those guys are in your kitchen then you've got problems like ghost <laughs> problems if both of them you don't have a house anymore at least you don't have a kitchen anymore right <laughs> yeah uh. All right. Um, Steven so, writes the yeah. DJ voice just as a little extra. Oh, recognized oh. him right away. Right <laughs> away recognized sense. him. That was cool. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and um, Mark, you may remember in, back in high school where, where people would say that Steve Buscemi would play me in our biopic for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense. Okay. He's the, I, I, I doesn't make sense. I don't know. I was, I don't know. I was reading that there was a Reddit thread about how celebrities who people call unattractive are actually very attractive and Buscemi came up very early in that I mean he is a very he's maybe a little like weird looking but objectively attractive person I think that's kind of the definition of a character actor like yeah. you know yeah. take Danny DeVito people like to watch Danny DeVito if he was actually you know horrendous people wouldn't like seeing him on screen <laughs> people say he's got a lot of charisma and in, in real life too you know that's, and as he gets older yeah. he looks even more insane which is like even more entertaining <laughs> I, I I'm, I'm sure that he's, he's you know leaning into that obviously but yeah yeah <laughs> so um okay uh, let's handle the obvious question is where you guys have a feeling about where this is in your list of Tarantino favorites? I don't think you know, Luke I, cares. I was thinking about that. No, <laughs> they're, just, they're just all in a soup of mediocre films. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I was thinking about that today, and I, I think it's a little unfair now that I've watched it at the end of my 
Tarantino journey because, you know, he keeps saying like once upon a time in Hollywood, maybe that was his last or maybe he's got one more, but he keeps kind of indicating that he's winding down his directorial career. And now seeing Reservoir Dogs, which is really at the outset of the type of movie that he's known for, I think I think it's a little unfair because now I have to look at that as a building block of everything that came later, as opposed to just this weird, subversive, uh, uh, stylistic movie that it would have been had I seen it in 92 when it came out and go like, oh, okay, this is something very different. And he's trying to undermine a lot of these like gangster film tropes. Uh, and this is new and fresh and obviously the patter and the, uh, the, the style of dialogue and uh, jumping back and forth in the timeline. Like those would have all been very novel at the time, but instead the first Quentin Tarantino movie I saw was Pulp Fiction. So he had already taken those experiments and polished them, made them a lot bigger and bolder in a movie like Pulp Fiction, and then on and on as he, you know, carries on with his uh, with his his directorial oeuvre. Uh, so I, I feel like it, it's very good, but now I can only look at it as the experimental uh, uh, starting point of all of those other things. I don't think that makes it a bad movie. I still think it's a very good movie, uh, but I have to look at it in that context now. And that's, you know, that that's on me because I watched them out of order. Maybe a more apt comparison would be to throw this in with similar films. You met, we mentioned Clerks already. You've got uh, mm. Paul Thomas Anderson's Heart Eight, Wes Anderson's Bottle Rocket, Arnofsky's Pie. Uh, I had one more on the mind as I was spewing yeah. this out, but the following nolan's following um all of them are pretty good movies none of them really rank with the the well except for maybe clerks uh, none of them really rank with the director's later work which i would say is kind of true of this so i and i, I, was, I think people talk about this one differently though people talk about reservoir dogs like it is up there with the rest of yeah. tarantino like no I, one's no one's out there saying you've got to go and watch duel if you're a spielberg fan or if people do give you, you've got to watch Reservoir Dogs. Right. I, I, for me, this is pretty much right in the middle. I don't, I mean, aside from that, it feels like it really hammers a lot of the racist talk, like past the point where I'm like, mm. where I could just take it as these guys are bad guys and they say bad things. Yeah. I, I was going <laughs> to uh, bring level. that up as my point later. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's pretty uh it's pretty if it, it's a lot more obvious than i remember it being at the time but um mm. even though i guess that's probably because i saw full picture first which still has tons of it but um yeah i i like it as it's sort of a stage play and um i i love a good stage stage play as a movie um i like minimalism i like that he's not really up his own ass yet which i feel like uh that sort of he's sort of been on and off up his own ass through a lot of yeah. his career and this is definitely sort of a it it spares it's not a whole lot of um guys talking about how they know things which is really unfair <laughs> for me to point out because we are a podcast full of guys talking about how we know things um but it's i sometimes in a movie that kind of irks me because it doesn't, doesn't really tell me anything about the character, how much they know about what movie Anne Francis was in or something. Well, yeah, um, I don't want my movies to be podcasts. And right. I don't necessarily want my podcasts to just be 100% guys talking about their own lives and never talking about the topic. So, But yeah, Mark, I, I, I think you're making... You're making a, an interesting point, though, because like anytime I see a Tarantino movie, I expect at least a little bit of that you know i i expect the the chatter in the dialogue that at best it serves the purpose of just like grounding these characters like we all have moments in our lives where we're having conversations about inane things that really don't matter and they're not really serving to drive our lives for the way they would drive 
the plot for in a movie. And I think that's cool because again, it subverts the idea of what a script is supposed to do in a movie, um, which is you're always trying to get to the next scene, the next uh, plot point, the next action point. Tarantino lets you kind of slow down a little bit and just be in the mundanity of these lives for a little bit. However, it also serves to give you a little glimpse of what's firing in these guys' minds. And something that I enjoy about a movie like this is that the bad guys really are bad guys and they're kind of dumb, <laughs> you mm. know? So, yeah. because I, I do think we tend to glamorize the wrong people in movies very often. And, it, you know, for all the, you know, thousands and thousands of, you know, Scarface t-shirts and posters on the wall and so, you, you know, you, Brian De Palma has always said, like, no, 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 he, he's actually the bad guy. Like, we're not actually supposed to be celebrating and lionizing him at all. And I definitely got that takeaway from Reservoir Dogs. It's like, none of these are the good guy. <laughs> like, none of these are, well, you know, I, Mr. Orange is trying hard, but he also got wrapped up in this, uh, in this, just, yeah, he also shot an innocent woman. Well, exactly. Yeah. He, he got wrapped up entirely too far, you know. Um, but I, I like what you said here about this feeling like a stage play and all those moments that are in the, the rendezvous point, with, which was a great location because you got the caskets in there and just it, it's dirty and you know that nothing good comes out of this place. Um but I feel like, again, it's Tarantino experimenting with the things then that he'll do later way better. So, uh, like, I, I love the opening scene in uh, Inglorious Bastards where it's just two people in a room and he is constantly, constantly turning up the tension in that scene. And then Hateful Eight, which I think a lot of people didn't like as much, but I, I quite liked it because he again takes that idea and turns it up to the extreme. It's like, no, no, you're not getting out of this house. Something bad is definitely going to happen. And we'll just keep cranking up the tension as much as we can in this quiet, little, claustrophobic place with these characters who we're, we're very uncomfortable being around. And I think when he's at his best, like that can be a really entertaining thing. Here it feels like again just laying the groundwork for exactly that type of experiment that that gets polished and perfected later. I guess can blow back a little bit though, because I'm saying here I've only watched Inglorious Bastards once because I'm like if I watch Inglorious Bastards I have to get through that scene and we will because it's on, <laughs> we're going to be watching that film. But and it, it's not saying it's a bad yeah. scene. So it's like oh my god, you know, there's some stuff just like. You don't <laughs> get into yeah. that scene. Well, yeah, we talked about this yeah. last time with The Hunt. Like, a film can be a good, a very good film, and I still don't like watching it. <laughs> sure. And to, sure. with all that aside, yeah. nobody will be surprised to hear that Inglorious Bastards is my favorite Tarantino movie. <laughs> Tension fan, Mark, over here. Love Tension. It's the best. I, yeah. I love it. It has... The, the pop culture thing shows up for about 30 minutes in the middle of it, and it's people playing guessing games and talking about King Kong. I was like, absolutely loved it. Anyway, we'll, we'll talk about that in 2028 or something. Uh, the, <laughs> the one thing I guess about this film that makes me... Uh, this is probably... A, the I haven't seen Hateful Eight yet, so I, I don't know if I like it or don't like huh. it, but uh, of what I've seen, I mean, this... and death proof i guess are the bottom of the barrel for me um mm. and and, and death it's, proof is my it's, least favorite it's a yeah. perfect it's a perfect first movie for this guy's career that's for sure but it's in this like you said it they use the set it's cool they're saving money because uh i feel this movie to be extremely claustrophobic i mean when we get out for a bit an hour in that's that's almost like a yeah. breath of weird fresh air and i'm going to throw a question to mark why did I like the cube so much? This, that was even more claustrophobic. <laughs> because the cube was silly enough that you couldn't see yourself in a cube, but you might see yourself as possibly existing in this world. Okay. Is that it? I'll, I'll take that as an explanation. It sounds good. Because, yeah, this is not like a particularly fun watch for me. Like in the 90s, mm -hmm. I, I saw Pulp Fiction way too many times because that's what I've 
17 year old did then right um, <laughs> but uh this one I, i've seen this might have been viewing three or four for me uh and the last viewing was 25 years ago <laughs> wow this is probably three for me but i don't watch things as much as many people do i think i've seen pulp fiction about seven or eight times maybe mm. but, i watch films a lot of times if they have monsters or robots this movie has well, I mean, everyone, yeah, everyone's a monster in this movie except for not, not the yeah. good kind of monster. <laughs> okay, <laughs> uh, because as the creator of Godzilla said, you should feel sympathy for a monster. Mm. I feel no sympathy for these people. <laughs> what about what um, have, none, even for uh, Mr. Orange, just guy trying to do his job, you know? Yeah, but his job was a cop, and as we know, but but sometimes. Yeah, well, <laughs> especially yeah. undercover shops who shoot women. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like he's not he's a good argument gone. for cops are cool. No, but but he's yeah. a guy. Guess... No, not not that he's cool, but but he is somebody who I think starts with some idealism and then just gets no. horribly, horribly a... lost in there. You know, I I do. I he is yeah. a sympathetic character, really, and also, of course, the cop they've kidnapped and tortured oh, didn't do anything God. wrong. Yeah. Wow, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's the scene you remember. That is the set piece, and that's maybe the reason that you don't come back and yeah. watch it so much. I'm gonna have to watch that dude's ear get chopped off again. <laughs> but you know what? Uh, as somebody who you know, it's unfortunate that a movie like that comes out and then here's so many years later, I'm seeing it for the first time. But I already heard so much about it, and and just mm. through osmosis knew so much about it. And that scene was less gruesome than I thought it would be because the camera does move up and away during the actual mm. moment and i was like okay i i know this is going to be gross okay at least i got through that <laughs> because it's not quite as disgusting as i thought it would be but i get those just, later shots where he's got like pepperoni heads so you have to deal with the yeah 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 i was more shocked at mr orange shooting the driver in the car that they hijack that that felt like a really earned moment of shock because mm -hmm. we don't know what this guy has been through exactly and how far will he go to maintain his cover and just go along with the process that that was a much more interesting moment to me and just hit so fast you know that's partly what made it cool do we have not not, not cool like oh wow this is great but <laughs> cool like a, an interesting important good. moment in the Don't movie know. yeah Kinet <laughs> right. kinetic yeah. filmmaking do we have any sympathy for mr yeah. white who is a murderous thug with a weird misplaced sense of loyalty but he has the sense of loyalty which well, humanizes him slightly more uh, yeah. a lot of yeah. a lot of crime movies i do find myself at the end of the film thinking why do i hate the guy who was a rat so much more than all the people who did much more terrible things. Or mm. is this film actually, I think it does a good job of like, no, being a loyal gangster is not that good. Yeah. Right. Well, like, you, I don't come out of this film thinking like, no, he was a solid guy actually. <laughs> well, yeah. also it was um, something I'd, I'd forgotten a few of the details. So it was fun that I'd forgotten the whole thing where he presses so hard that Mr. Blonde is a psycho. And then at the end you see Mr. White being a psycho. And it's, yeah. it, you know, I, I love that there are little touches of all these people are lying. Mr. It's not White just... has motivation that his, his friend is the rat, where Mr. Blonde just wants to watch the world burn and the, the ears bleed. Well, yeah. like Mr. White is one of these things where this twist in morality where some of these guys see themselves, he sees himself as a good guy for a second, but he really isn't. And he also did the stupid, the most stupid thing possible, which is tell the cop who he is. You know, yeah. it's like that that wouldn't have worked out for any of them. That would have just destroyed everything. Is that um, something? I mean, Mr. Orange could have waited just a second and then he potentially would have lived and Mr. White would have potentially lived. But then what happens when they're both patched up and they're getting out of the hospital, you know, six weeks later does... Uh, does Mr. White find out the truth and, you know, go kill Mr. Orange anyway? Who knows? And the, the, the One of the best things about this movie is just that there are a bunch of what ifs that are all interesting. <laughs> the, yeah. And then what For did sure. happen was also interesting, but it's also they it was sort of like, let's wrap this up. Bang, 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 bang. Now, yeah, one thing I will say, literally, yeah. <laughs> yeah. One one thing I will say for me that definitely did a good thing in my life 
is uh my my family had the super sounds of the 70s on vinyl i, I believe it was three it had a brown box with like kind of a rainbow design on it uh yeah. now guest andrew and i andrew and i have been friends since elementary school and when we were in elementary school we were like oh this is a primer for a primer or whatever for uh songs that are lame you know it's the late 80s <laughs> for elementary school that ah, 70s songs those are lame so yeah, this movie comes out and and Pulp Fiction too. And it's like, wait a minute, those super sounds of the seventies are cool. Yeah, <laughs> damn right. So uh, absolutely. It, it, I also, I mean, I didn't like the Beatles for five years for the same reasons because I listened to a lot of <laughs> my dad's Beatles records on vinyl till I was about eight, mm-hmm. and then it was just super uncool for five years. And I was like, wait a minute, these are some of the best albums ever. <laughs> well, yeah, it, bad a... Beatles takes are back at the moment, so. Oh, be they? glad you're not on social media, Matt. Okay, well, um, <laughs> just to just to and, and all due respect to Tommy Lee Jones, I I think I've now bought the White Album four times. <laughs> Wait, what did Tommy Lee Jones do? Now he said in um, Men in Black, again. I'm gonna have to buy the White Album again. Oh, oh okay. Yeah, That's Matt did well. start that like Tommy Lee Jones had done something controversial. <laughs> <laughs> well, he bought the White Album too many times. That's controversial. Sold me a lot of Boss Coffee. Um, <laughs> here's, a, here's a bad Beatles take. I've never bought a Beatles album, and I think some of their songs are bad. That's it. Yeah, everyone has some bad songs. That's why I love I the Beatles. Yeah, because that they made the Taylor Swift in 15 years. <laughs> that, <laughs> that's why I dig the, the Beach Boys so much because they made the best music ever and the worst music ever. Like sometimes on mm. the same album. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> here's here's another bad take. I think that the worst of the Beach Boys is still kind of better than the worst of the Beatles. Did you listen to Brian Wilson's Smart Girls? Mm. No. Okay, there's your homework. Then get back. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, great. The last really looking, said that looking to forward to that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, that's that's when um his late when Eugene Landy made him rap. <laughs> wow his uh his live-in psychologist like whatever for several years i don't know what his actual title was he was a doctor better, i guess they, although i think they took his license than, away better or worse than didi ramon uh worse because okay. it sounds like yeah. someone's rapping that really does not want to be rapping but someone's making him rap <laughs> and i think it i think it does include the line my name is brian and i'm here to say <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> So, oh my uh, God! Smart girls. Um, I I just wanted to throw out on, on my random stuff. Uh, Mark, you were talking about the this being like a stage play, and um, I I did write my notes. This movie has serious black black box stage vibes, and but more fun is uh, when they mm-hmm. first entered the industrial space. I think this is like a like a ping pong effect, like a um skipping stone. Like I must have had this take. When I first saw the movie and when I watched it a few nights ago, it just came back. Um, I just, when they get to, into that space, I think of Kids Incorporated. And then I wrote Mario Lopez in a giant capital letter. So uh, the 80 show Kids Incorporated, where they, they would dance and, and play on a similar looking industrial set. So <laughs> I, I didn't know I had that association with this film, but it just all came rushing back. So, oh my God. <laughs> so I was thinking about Mario Lopez in the middle of this film. um i uh, getting back to the music it's really weird how the opening of the film is really burned into my head with the song little green bag which i had to write down what it was because i've never heard that song outside of this film ever Hmm. it's it's interesting Uh, this is i wish more people would do this where he picks songs that are not huge so it's like James Gunn did this for Guardians of the Galaxy, at least the first one, where it's like stuff you may have heard, but you may not have heard. And if you have the, heard uh, it, you haven't heard it constantly. That's the yeah. George Baker selection. And their wiki page is not the shortest, but not the longest. <laughs> uh, Very good. That's good trivia. But yes. Whoa, from wor- the, the guys from Wormerveer. I guess that's their Dutch then? Nader pop, Nader pop. Okay, so yeah, that's like Netherlands. Netherlands pop. Yeah, yep. Cool. Sendelt. Okay, nineteen sixty nine song. Okay, they they have a nineteen seventy five worldwide hit, Paloma Blanca. So, in the nineteen eighty five pan European hit, White Horse. Con- Lucia no, Paloma Blanca. is um Dove. Ah, 
Mm-hmm. White Dove. Okay, so you, maybe you, maybe you have more selections of the George Baker selection to get to. I don't know. Cool. <laughs> I'll leave that baking in my George. Um, <laughs> are are the later soundtracks a little better too? This one's just kind of short. I guess uh, oh, it's like thirty it's minutes. Very on, short. Yeah. Because yeah. Pop Fiction, like everybody bought it. Jackie Brown and Phil yeah. Bills, I bought on vinyl and played to no end on vinyl. You know. Well, yeah. let me tell you. The Reservoir Dogs PlayStation 2 game won a BAFTA for best soundtrack just for having the film soundtrack. <laughs> oh what, year, what year is that? Uh, Many years after the film. Okay. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't even remember that coming out. So it must not have either not have been good or not have been really low on the radar. Apparently it's pretty mediocre, but it's just like, it's a weird film to adapt into a game. So it's like every level's different. Yeah. And of course, you, you do see the heist in the game. <laughs> I mean, I guess it'd be hip, so, it'd know, be hip now to have years. like what an eight-bit uh, chip tune version of "Stuck in the Middle of You." I'm sure someone made that. <laughs> yeah, I'm not even gonna search for that. I know it yeah, exists. Yeah, it's gotta mm-hmm. exist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, does anyone else have a, a a big hot take on this one? Observation. <laughs> hot take. Uh, not Anything. not really. Yeah, no, not not really a hot take. I mean, it, it's what I've already said. I, it is interesting that you point out that the soundtrack on this is so short, but then having that really cool soundtrack becomes another hallmark of a Tarantino movie, and they just get bigger and more, you know, more expansive with the really cool stuff, but also the weird deep cuts later on, and they they become these, you know, very important works on their own certainly getting up to uh once upon a time in hollywood i mean that's just full of great music some of it very familiar some of it not i feel like um, wes anderson hits a lot of those with his soundtracks the more yeah. version of course but kind of a similar yeah, exactly of, uh, yeah. yeah yeah that's, uh, that's and grand theft auto like yeah. grand theft auto games started doing this after a while where um vice city is like made a huge impact on me by making me listen to new wave where I grew up not liking New Wave, and then suddenly I figured it out, I guess. Um, <laughs> Interesting. That sounds weird for someone who loves <laughs> New Wave. but um, I've heard uh, so many people come out with like, uh, oh, I know that song. I, I, it was right after I, you know, like talked to the gang boss in Vice City. <laughs> Plays there. Yeah, I mean, they just dropped a new trailer for Grand Theft Auto 6, and it has some Tom Petty song from an album from 89 that nobody's ever heard and everyone's obsessed with it now yeah it and jumped it, to like number one brilliant. Of that. yeah brilliant i mean there are tons of songs that have not been used for things it's like you know, um the the worst offender the opposite of this would be thor love and thunder which only used guns and roses singles for the soundtrack mm-hmm. i'm like i've heard all those a million times i feel nothing yeah 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 i still Personally. haven't i still anyway. haven't had the love or thunder um, I did actually, I bought, when I got, I told you I got lock stock at the used place, I got a few of the older Marvel movies, which I haven't seen for five years or more. And I look at them again, I'm like, oh yeah, these did used to be pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I don't remember if I said it on the podcast or not, but revisiting Ant-Man was shocking. That's what I was watching last night. <laughs> yeah, you night. did, you did. Yeah. Mm. And that first segment with Michael Douglas in his ear when he's running around the suit, that's, that's fantastic stuff. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, uh, they have a chance to start over now, I guess. It it was interesting to see Tarantino in this movie because he has become such a character himself um, outside of his films, j- just a, as a presence, as a guy who, mm. you know, he shows up to give a speech or get an award and, you know, he's got this quirky, nerdy, but earnest presence, which is... It can be very entertaining. Uh, I was not expecting him to be in this as a character because I don't think of him that way. So that that was another thing that kind of threw me off that like, oh, wait, this is early experimental. This is a way to A, cut a budget <laughs> and B, just sort of like get the thing that I want out of the movie because I'm going to do it myself. You know, write it, direct it. I'll put myself mm. in there because at least I know as the creator of this what I'm trying to get out of it. So he's in there. And I have to say that like that could have been very distracting and it could have been very um uh a, a little too um 
a little too precious, just a little too like, okay, he's molding the character of Quentin Tarantino now. But I didn't find that at all. I, I felt like he, he was in there just enough. And, you know, his death immediately going to the, the uh, you know, the carjacking gone wrong, you know, I, I felt like it, it was just all kind of natural in the fabric of the movie. Uh, mm-hmm. so it fit well, it, it wasn't the distraction that I thought it would be because right at the beginning, you see him very early on. I just thought like, oh no, is, is he going to be in this as much as Harvey Keitel, as much as Tim Roth, as much as the other people I'm expecting. And fortunately he wasn't, uh, you know, he, he, he fit just fine. And now he's had the good sense to not put himself in all of his movies. Also there's... You can't begrudge him putting himself in his own movie and then killing himself off immediately. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the yeah. only, uh, for me, the only like really egregious case in his own stuff is uh, the segment of four rooms where it's basically Tarantino talking to people the entire time. That was, yeah. Yeah. That was too much. That, but, that is too much. I mean, yeah. But it was an anthology. Yeah. So do whatever you want. Right. Yeah. I mean, how yeah. how did uh, Dust Till Dawn work with you? He's with a different director, but yeah, now no, he's like that, in most of the movie. That wasn't, he was not a likable character at all in that. He was supposed um, to be, but. But also, yeah. I, I rewatched that. I rewatched that recently and didn't like it very much. I felt like hmm. George Clooney was the smartest guy in the room times infinity. And it was, uh, it was kind of obnoxious to me, but hmm. it was, it was fun. But uh, yeah, I don't know. Didn't really work for me. What about the Casamigos to come? George Clooney's eh. tequila. Coming I mean, it's eventually. This thing's just so fun. It, it's a fun, dumb movie that's kind of dumb, and <laughs> it's, it's not. It's not my favorite vampire movie. It's not my favorite Tarantino or Rodriguez Jason movie. We have Rodriguez movies on the list, and they are Spy Kids sequels. <laughs> yeah, I've seen one of those that did not like it. So uh, we'll see. <laughs> oh, man. They are not. They are obviously not on the good list. <laughs> uh, I I think that you know some of his good movies should be on a good list, but that's their genre films, so they never, you know, Machete's never going to be on the Machete Kills deserves to be on the good list. I'll just go ahead and say that. <laughs> so Mel, right, Mel Gibson Kills is is greater than Reservoir Dogs. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Okay. Yes. I'll say that. <laughs> Has anyone seen it? Uh, I just seen the no. first one. That that was on the the. It was a little more expensive than the cheaper Blu-rays I bought, but that was also at the book off last week. So, I'd say get it if you like exploitation. It's like the best modern one, okay. I think. Um, it's ridiculous. I maybe. mean, Mel Gibson is about a guy. He's like scenery chewing. <laughs> uh, there's like a, a a slow like slow chase using like a land speeder from star Wars that's on wheels for some reason. (laughs) (laughs) It's just crazy. That's not how it's done. (laughs) Wow. Luke, you, you've been saying we've been using filth as a term of endearment, right? So maybe Mm. I'll rephrase our assessment here for reservoir dogs and say, uh, is it a film or is it exploitation? And is it better that it's either of those? (laughs) That that was uh, not better than the previous question. Okay. Um, <laughs> That's breaking my brain. Can we, can we maybe do, you want to just do percentages like? No, absolutely not. Never. But, but they could both. It could be a hundred percent of both. You could go up to two hundred percent, or oh. even higher. Interesting. I never want to use numbers for anything ever. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So I was, I was oh, sorry, is first a number? Because I was just going to say this is a pretty mm. perfect first <laughs> film. But if it was your second, third, fourth, or fifth film, it might be a little lack. I, I think it's interesting that his first film is kind of objectively not his best or his worst film. Like that, mm, that yeah. seems to be, I don't know about you guys. I definitely think Clerks is the best Kevin Smith movie. And I think Bottle Rock is the worst Wes Anderson movie. Oh, I, yeah. I, I know yeah. people would disagree with me on that, but. Or both, but I mean, following is probably the worst Nolan movie. Uh, yeah, I haven't seen it actually. I saw it once but, in the late uh, '90s, and I can't remember but, much about it. But Memento is my least favorite of his movies, and that was the earliest. What that was the mm. second, right? So there yeah, you go. That was early. Yeah, yeah. 
Huh. I remember not even liking Insomnia all that much. So, I, you know, it, it took Batman to get me interested, I guess, in Nolan. <laughs> hmm. I, I mean, I like Insomnia because you're just watching Robin Williams go crazy. I don't know. A, it's one of those movies I, where I might like it better if I watched it now. Uh, I will give it that. Mm-hmm. Like if I watch it now, I might like it. And also, like Christopher I said, Nolan's uh, weird. Where I keep thinking I know what his earliest film is, and I find out he did another one before it. Right. <laughs> uh, I'm like that with Cronenberg. Uh, like Cronenberg oh. did like eight movies in the '70s. I think. Oh sure. yeah, '70s. Yeah, you know, yeah. showing on weird circuits. They kind of yeah become very ephemeral. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I, I, mean, I go ahead. No, no, please you. Uh, yeah, I was going to say perfect first movie, perfect as exploitation. If this came out of the 70s, uh, it would be an uber I classic. <laughs> I think this film, to go back to the old film and filth question, I think the thing that lets this film down is I don't think it uses its filth very well. Hmm. I think the um, a lot of the... I was going to ask about the fake blood. How's the fake blood? The, the, the blood and stuff is great, but I think I think the way it throws around sexism and racism it doesn't use it well enough to justify doing it i don't think like you could say like oh it's there to show you that they're bad guys but they do plenty of stuff to show you that they're bad guys without you know reveling in that kind of stuff with a place setting the quirky take on like a virgin right everyone haha everyone's got their own takes on the madonna song you know and then that's the place setting so that sets the tone for the rest of the film very intentionally but that i I think well when it's good when that kind of dialogue is good when it works when it serves character and serves to put you in their world that's Mm. when it works you know but i i think to luke's point you know it can also be a situation where it feels like more more telling than showing and you know that that's something that is (laughs) <laughs> can, can be the death of a of a good script is like where you're you're force feeding the audience you are telling them what you want to know uh, or, or what you want them to know about these characters as opposed to just showing and the showing is absolutely what you get out of their deeds and out of their actions throughout the movie so mm. that's I think that's a really fine line and and Tarantino very often crosses that line but that's also just sort of a matter of your own personal taste and threshold for that stuff. You know, I, I like clearly in a movie like Django, they're going to drop the N word a lot more even right, than they did in this that. movie. But but exactly, exactly. And, and that that's a place where you can use that dialogue to good effect for a movie like that. So yeah i don't know completely made of white men so it doesn't sit as well (laughs) yeah 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 exactly um i mean i've never uh i've never had a black friend say to me that they would be mad at somebody that that they were mad at these films so whatever that's worth but that's mm -hmm. also anecdotal and doesn't mean anything because (laughs) you know if if one person comes over and sees like pulp fiction on my shelf and is like are you like a racist or something that I'm going to feel bad <laughs> about it. You know <laughs> what I mean? And it's not like I can right. say that's not a legitimate stance because it is, but you know, I'm not even not... necessarily saying that it's racist or like he's racist. I just, it's just cringe. It's just yeah, trying too it's... hard to be cool by using that language. He's trying it. He's it's like an attempt to be really transgressive when he's probably doing that edgelord thing of, well, I can't find any more ways to be edgy, so I'm going to do this. Like a mm-hmm. like how Rick and Morty, I think it mm-hmm. was season six, where they basically uh, they just started doing incest stuff constantly because it's like, well, you can't cancel us for doing incest jokes. Yeah. Because in, yeah. people who do incest aren't going to speak up and tell you they're offended. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. Uh, it's, you know, it's it's a weird show. I mean, I guess I should just say, well, I'm thankful that not that a bunch of other people didn't do it. Mm. No, my my <laughs> trip on Rick and Morty is uh once once lower deck started being the trick I am, I forgot Rick and Morty existed. Yeah, I mean, it. I mean, I think Solar Opposites is kind of better than Rick and Morty too, which is the the halfway. Yeah, obviously. but Rick and Morty is available on the app. I already have. 
Yeah, it's, that makes a big yeah. difference. Yeah, yeah. I did see a it's trailer a for Paramount drama. Plus coming out in Japan finally, so I might be able to watch Star Trek soon. Nice. Um, I have yeah, a one I, star. Oh, go ahead. I, I, I think that the the thing that, like, for me watching this movie, as I said at the top of the show, it's all about context, you know. So I, I have to think about the context of this being a a first feature film. Uh, for him, and also the context of like, well, what was happening at the time in movies that made this one stand out and be so iconic for a generation and be so different? And and part of that is that uncomfortable thing about the language and the gruesome exploitation of it all. And mm. to me, it, it's like, well, that is part of the thing that that is part of what defines Tarantino as a guy who's basically a big film nerd who grew up on 60s, 70s, 80s exploitation movies and a lot of everything else, too. So for his first movie, great. What can I do this cheap? This a little shocking that uh, subverts a bit of a genre. I'm going to do all of these. I'm going to throw all of this stuff at the wall and I have gangsters who are dumb and it's a heist gone wrong and there's a lot of blood and there's a lot of cursing and dropping the n-word and all you know it just throwing all of that out of the wall because that's what he grew up on and that's what he thought he could have some fun with as a budding filmmaker so why i think that's cool then is then you get to fast forward a bit through his career and you go like oh, okay well now he's having the same kind of weird fun by turning a World War II movie on its head and rewriting history and basically doing the comic book version of that. And then we're going to get all the way up to the Manson murders and we're going to turn that on its head. And, it, you know, so it is all the pop culture sort of dumping out of his brain onto film. Some people can do that and they're terrible at it. And I think that at least Tarantino's doing it with this sense of artistry still about what makes those movies tick. And they don't always have to be great. They don't always have to be elevated to high cinema, but he still knows what makes them work and what can keep the audience, you know, at least for me, again, trying to put it into context as something new to me, but old as far as his career goes and the, this kind of genre goes like, I, I got to admit, like, it still works. It, it really does. Like, warts and all, it really does work. Um, but it works best as proof of concept of a guy who's going like, okay, I, I'm going to take all these things that are rattling around in my head, get them out on screen in an engaging way. Here you go. Um, and, and I <laughs> I was watching this. Actually, I was watching it again this morning. And... Um, there was a, a guy from the gas company who came to fix something and uh and i and i, I where's a get to the point where we have the mexican standoff and it's one of those rare times in that kind of a standoff in a movie where everybody shoots and everybody dies and i just remember <laughs> it like exclaiming oh shit i did not expect that <laughs> and, you know and, and the guy from the gas company laughing because he had seen it before and i was like oh wow oh this is actually a moment this this is tarantino having fun and turning the genre on its head so i, I can't help but appreciate that you know um i have yeah. one of the one star reviews here uh which I oh yeah it. um which uh, interesting kind of repeats on the language you just said, which I thought was funny. <laughs> uh, what a load of trash with no redeeming value. You, you didn't say that, but uh, <laughs> it also has no entertainment value. It was a chore to watch. It's all about stupid people killing each other. The senseless <laughs> violence is extremely offensive. And although I could see the language being typical of the person, I found that offensive too. I could have spent my time better lying on my bed watching the ceiling for 99 minutes. Uh, that, <laughs> that's the main one. I also like um, one of the headlines was pure diluted crap. Uh, I like that. <laughs> and then I just like this line because, uh, you know, now that IMDb has been there for, what, 25 years. Uh, yeah. If you want a similar movie, go to the Blockbuster and rent Boondock Saints. <laughs> <laughs> wow. wow. So Showing like its age. The reader yeah. walking around looking for that Blockbuster. 
<laughs> incredible. I could go I run. Actually, I could, it's now a kilometer, not just like a few steps from my house. But I guess I could still go rent Boondock Saints from a store in Japan <laughs> if I wanted to. I could still do that. <laughs> awesome. I, I, it does revisiting this does make me kind of. I've been thinking a lot lately about how Tarantino said, "Well, I'm only going to do ten movies because older directors don't." really have what it takes and i do kind of feel like sometimes older directors make bad movies when they could have just retired but um mm-hmm. he's not really made a movie for a while and it's kind of makes me kind of sad that he probably could have just pumped out a few small intimate things like this but better in his mm-hmm. spare time and just kind of hasn't and meanwhile miyazaki has said he's going to retire probably more times than tarantino has made movies in the past 10 years right and keeps pumping out things that are apparently i haven't seen his newest one but apparently it's fantastic so it's just you know so i was gonna uh, say maybe tarantino needs to be more scandalous my brain went in the other direction where i'm like oh woody allen roman polanski are really old they pump one out every year (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah well um Hopefully he doesn't pump one of those out, but you know, uh, he's, uh, I don't know. It's, I think it's kind of a mistake to say, to decide that you're going to define your career by your limitations that you set for yourself when you're much younger than you actually would be retiring. I mean, who knows? He could, he could do whatever he wants, but you know, there are a few things that he said he was going to make or was supposed to have made that I would have genuine, I would have liked to see a Star Trek. I don't know how you guys feel about that. Uh, I don't care. Uh, like he could have just done a western in the holodeck. I don't care. You know, yeah. any he could have just tried something. I mean, it would have been better than Into Darkness. Yeah, I, I always yes. would be up for seeing yes. something yeah. something different. You know, take Star Trek yeah. something I'm not expecting. Yeah. I don't think yeah. Tarantino would have given us a basic, you know, remake of Wrath of Khan. Well, yeah, and, no, honestly, he, like, exactly. I don't think I would. Uh, I, I mean, look, we could do another hour on this. I, I don't know if I would love a Tarantino Star Trek if that's the only Star Trek we were getting. Mm. Um, but, you know, fortunately, we live in an age where there's a lot of Star Trek, and Star Trek could be comedy, and it could be musical, and it could be drama, it could be romantic, it can be a lot of things, you know. But I think that the the strength that he would bring to it is that, well, A, it would be surprising because he's got a stylistic quirk where he does like to keep the audience on the edge of its seat. Um, But he also loves the things that he is aping to put on screen. Mm. And there's a certain kind of love that is like the parody type love where, you know, Airplane is this hilarious parody but it it is a love letter to all of those airline disaster movies tarantino is a guy who loves exploitation movies and he loves uh martial arts movies clearly because kill bill is like the tribute is like the the perfect version in his head tributing that kind of thing so Part of me wants to see him do a Star Trek movie because I know that he would only have thrown his hat into the ring if he loves Star Trek and he loves what he thinks he could do with it to have fun in that universe, as opposed to people who just kind of grudgingly go in like, I don't know, I'll I'll learn whatever I need to learn about Star Trek and then I'll pump out a script and it'll be fine, you know, Uh, and that's how we end up with movies like into darkness where it's He's like oh we, you know we we watched enough we know the popular one is the one with Khan, so uh that's what star trek's all about <laughs> you know it wasn't that wasn't that nemesis too i, I don't yeah you're right all right the oh the guys yeah, like i yeah. only know star trek yeah like honestly what i like think i'd like to see i mean tarantino's done tv before if he popped in and did mm-hmm. like a duo of strange new worlds episodes that would, that would be, be amazing i'm saying yeah. that because sure. i think it would be best to give him the episodic ones where he could like kind of like take a few yeah. steps out and do stuff. Whereas right. uh, some of the other shows, I, I wouldn't want to put them in a serialized run, but giving them mm-hmm. two, you know, standalones, that would be perfect. I'd, no one could absolutely be down for that it's in a season. Yeah. It's not in a movie theater, like piss off, you know, half of the fans right. uh, justifiably or not. So, right. <laughs> I mean, the, the musical episode, which was a total, you know, total outlier was probably the most talked about Star Trek episode Yep. In my adult life, you know, people, everybody was buzzing about it. So, yeah, just like, uh, I don't need to justify it. Not yet. Okay. <laughs> um, 
I, I guess we'll wind it down the dogs. If nothing else, I think Luke needs to go to the gym. Am I right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I've also got to wrap everyone's Christmas presents before I leave. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We got to give Luke a moment for that then. So, uh, John, I think it's mid-January if, if you have your mind oh, several man. weeks ahead from this recording. Yeah, date. yeah. I, well, I know that Mortal Coil is coming up on uh, Mission Log, and I love that episode, and uh, it'll probably be a challenge to talk about so stay tuned for that one uh so yeah we'll we'll be there mid-january ish yeah yeah stay tuned for the bell riots this year everybody happy 2024 (laughs) (laughs) yep oh oh and and as people hear this uh we should have moved genealogy over to its own feed so uh that'll be up at podcast.runberry.com but then it will have its own libsyn feed and We'll get that out to all the uh, the appropriate places. So please support that show as well. All right. Uh, this one is Films and Filth. We're on some of the socials. You can go looking for us. You're smart, right? You're a smart audience. <laughs> you can support us on Patreon. Yeah, you're a Podcastio. cool audience. <laughs> cool audience. Uh, Podcastio, Podcastius is where we are at Patreon. We do other shows like Time Enough Podcast for the Twilight Zone, Podcast 1999 for Space 1999. Luke loves Pokemon. The Hyrule Fuel Report for Zelda and the Game Game Show for Gamers Gaming It. Okay, that's done. Pull out your guns. <laughs> I'll shoot Mark. Mark, yeah. you shoot Matt. Matt right. You shoot John. John, shoot you me. shoot me. I'll shoot Everyone you. on three. You got it. You One, got it. two, three. Bam. <laughs> <laughs>